Colossians. I want you to find chapter number one, if you would, Colossians. And I told you that God had been laying this passage of Scripture upon my heart to start out the year of 2023, especially with the thought of our theme in mind, always abounding. And so we read Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through verse number 14 last Sunday. I'd like to take that passage of Scripture and read that again this morning. And so if you look at Colossians chapter 1, and I want us to start in verse number 9. I want us to read down through verse number 14. And I'm going to real quickly review what we had talked about last Sunday. And I want to move to a thought in one of these verses here in Colossians chapter number 1 uh, this morning. It gives us mention of three things that, the, uh, the, the, that Paul, as he's uh, writing here this prayer uh, for the church of Colossae, three things uh, that we need to always be abounding in that we see here in one of these verses this morning. I hope it will be a help to you. Colossians chapter 1, we'll start in verse number 9. It says this. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now remember what they had heard. We talked about this last week. What they had heard, good news had come from Paul. And what was that good news that had come from Paul? The Bible tells us that a man named Epaphras, who was a spiritual leader there at the church of Colossae, perhaps even their pastor, don't know for sure, but perhaps even their pastor as the spiritual leader, he had given some good news. And Paul said, ever since the day we heard that good news, we've been praying for you. Well, what was the good news that they had heard? Back in verse number 8, the Bible says that this church has love in the Spirit. They are loving the way that they should. And by the way, we'll get back to that thought as we go on a little bit farther in this study in Colossians chapter number 1. We'll get back to that thought at a later time. But notice he says, hey, ever since we heard, we started praying for you. And he says, here's the prayers that we have been praying for you, this intercessory prayer that we've been praying for you. Notice what he says. He says, do not cease to pray for you, verse 9 again, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord. Unto all pleasing. Now last Sunday we dealt with those three words right there. Unto all pleasing. And we talked about how that we need to be always abounding in pleasing God with our lives. Is to be pleased. Then in verse number 10 it says, excuse me, at the end of verse number 10. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Paul is writing the... While he is in prison at Rome He's in prison at Rome He's writing to a group of people That represent the church of Colossae Who by the way He had never even met He's praying for these dear folks He had never even met them But he had heard word Of their spiritual leader Heard that, we immediately started praying for you, and we've been praying a prayer for you ever since. Here's some things that I believe we're going to get to see 
in this prayer that Paul has for these believers in Colossians chapter 1. Now it's going to take us, if the Lord continues to give my heart this direction, at the start of the year of 2023, it's going to take us quite a few messages to get through all of this because there's a lot he deals with here, doesn't he? But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14, I think we see some areas of our Christian life that we need to be always abounding in. But then I think we see a second truth, and I think we're going to see that as we study here, here through Colossians chapter number 1. We're going to get to see the blessings that with abounding in the things of God. You're going to get to a place where you're going to say, as, as Paul wrote in 1 15 verse 58 were to be always abounding in the work of the Lord if you're going to get to a place in your Christian life where you say these are some things that I'm going to be always abounding in then you're going to get to see the goodness and the blessing of God in your life you're going to get to see him pour his blessings upon you as you're always abounding in those things just like we talked about last Sunday in praising the Lord well Paul writes this prayer again because of the good news that had come to him the church of Colossae had been walking in love in the spirit and Paul prays for these believers. Now remember what we told you that Paul was when he was writing the book of Colossae. He is imprisoned. By the way, he's imprisoned because he's preaching. He's not doing anything wrong. He's been preaching. So you would consider this in your mind. Consider this with me just for a moment. Because Paul has been placed into prison for preaching, as he is imprisoned, he's not able to preach. So here's the wonderful truth that I think we see in Colossians chapter number 1. Paul couldn't preach, but he could, he could increase his prayers. And so while he's imprisoned in Rome, he doesn't have opportunities to go outside of the cell of that jail and preach. But he says, while I'm in prison, I'm in prayers. And I am praying for you. You know, there's many individuals that may not be able to get out and serve the Lord in a great and an active way today, maybe because of their age, maybe because of their health. But they can increase in prayer, can't they? They can be what we many times refer to as a prayer warrior. And Paul says, hey, I'm in prison. I might not be able to do a whole lot of preaching, but I can increase in my prayer time, and I'm letting you know I am praying for you. And so to review what we learned last week, we said that Paul was praying for these Christians that were at Colossae. Paul wasn't dealing with praying for himself. He was praying for others. Now, it's certainly not wrong to pray for ourselves, but Paul is praying for somebody else. What we would call is an intercessory prayer. So he's praying on behalf of somebody else. We gave you several truths about Paul's prayer last week. We told you that Paul started this prayer immediately. You, know, you notice it says in the scripture, he started praying since the day that he heard this news about the church of Colossae. So he started praying immediately. We said this, that Paul's prayer was constant as well. He says in number 9, I did not cease to pray for you, which means I'm continuing to pray for you. If you notice in your prayer time that God doesn't give, us an, give you an answer right away, don't stop praying. Don't cease to pray. Be constant in your prayer time. But there's something else we learned from Paul's prayers. They were specific requests. Dealt with one of them. We're going to deal with them today. He prayed that they would be pleasing unto God, and we'll talk about several specific requests that Paul gives today as well. Then we said this: that Paul's prayers included requests that were relevant to the lives of those believers, not only Colossi in that day, but by the way, they are relevant for our lives today as well. They're applicable to every believer. And can I say this? Trusted Jesus Christ. 
Savior, what we're going to deal with today is applicable to you. Matter of fact, we're preaching from Colossians chapter 1 in the year of 2023 because it is relevant to us. By the way, every word in this book is relevant to us today because this book is alive. It's a living book, isn't it? And we learn something every time we open its pages. It speaks to us. It's relevant in 2023. So he gives prayer requests that are applicable to all those believers. And then his requests, we said last week, are centered on spiritual things. It's not so much about physical things and not so much about material things, although it's okay to pray for those things. He said prayers on the spiritual blessings that I'm endeavoring these churches, this church of Colossae, to be able to see. So last week we dealt with verse number 10. And we talked about a lived in God. Today I want to look at verse number 9. Remember last week we said this, when we read through verse number 9, we said that this is Paul's prayer that they would grow in the knowledge of God. Paul says, I want you to grow in the knowledge of God. Now let me ask you a question, as a, maybe as a springboard or, as, or an introductory thought for this message today. Because how you answer this question will determine how much you allow God to speak to you today. Do you feel in your life as a child of God that there is room for growth? I think that all of us, if we were to be honest today, we would say we haven't gotten to a place where we've arrived. We haven't gotten to a place where God cannot still deal with us. God cannot still allow us to see growth in us. I think if we were honest, we would say all of us could spiritually grow. He's not finished with us yet, is he? He's still working on us to make us what we ought to be as the songwriter wrote in that little children's song that we sang. So we can all spiritually grow. We can have growth in the knowledge of God. So Paul, as he writes verse remember this now, he is already encouraged by the good news that he's received. Have you ever had a time where perhaps you even prayed for somebody and you'd say, man, they delivered me some good news. I'm encouraged by it. God is helping them in their spiritual walk. And because I'm so encouraged by the good news that I've heard, I'm encouraged in even a greater way to be praying that they would grow even more. That's where Paul is right now in verse number 9. Because I've heard such good news about you. I've been so encouraged that God will enrich you even more. That God will do even greater things in your spiritual life. He's desiring that they would not be content where they are at, but they would desire even better, even greater things for God, seeking God's best in their life. Not just to say, I'm going to settle where I'm at, and it's good enough where I'm at, but to seek what is God's best in your life. You know, the Bible says that some things are expedient or they are good for us, but they might not be God's best. To get to the place where we reach for God's best. Man, I've got some good news, Paul. The church is walking in love in the Spirit. Paul says, I'm so encouraged by that. I'm going to ask God to enrich you in even a greater way. I'm going to ask for God's better in your life. So that you can get to the place where you are seeking God's best. Can I say this? And maybe by way of an application for us today or a truth that we can put into our lives today. Those that are most like Jesus would be still more completely, or have the opportunity to be still more completely conformed to his image. What I mean by that is this, the Bible 
says that once we get saved and we ask Jesus Christ to be our Savior, the Bible says in Romans chapter number 8, that we are conformed to the image of God. But let, ne let us never get to the place where we say, well, I'm striving to be more like Jesus. I I'm desiring to be more like Jesus and live in a way that is even greater than what I have in years past to get to a place where we feel like we cannot still be more completely conformed to the image of God, more like the Lord Jesus Christ, growing to be more like Him every day. Here's what Paul prays. Paul prays, I want to ask God that He would give you even more grace, that He would enrich you, that He would pour even more blessings on you, that you'd be able to see that you're not just a good Christian, but that God can make you even into a better Christian and He can give you what's best for your life. So let's look at verse number 9, if you would. Notice what he says here. He says, For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, did not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye be filled. Now there's three things that Paul desires of the church of Colossae here in verse number 9. I want us to look at those three things in this message this morning. And I want us to get to a place in our lives where we'd say, I want to always be abounding in those things. I want to be abounding in these things that Paul is praying for the church of Colossae. Notice what he says. Number one, that they might be filled with the knowledge of His will. Number one, he says, I want you to be praying for you, Church of Colossae, I'm praying for you. I've heard some good news, but I want God to enrich you in even a greater way. I want you to see more of His grace on your life. And I'm praying for the Church of Colossae that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, first of all, let's talk about that word filled. That word filled has the idea of being fully equipped. Now think today of how important it is in our lives as Christians to be fully equipped with the knowledge of God's will. He says that you would be filled. You would be fully equipped. Uh, that word filled there in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 9 is used to describe a ship that was ready for a voyage. It was fully equipped. It was ready to go out to its voyage. That's what Paul is asking God on behalf of the church of Colossae. That you would be filled, that you would be fully equipped in the knowledge of God so that you're ready to go out and work that God has for you. Now can I say this? This is not something that a believer does on his own. We're not filled with the knowledge of God's will on our own, but instead it is a work that the Holy Spirit does to equip us. Meaning this, Jesus to be our Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in And He does a work in our hearts, and we can never get to the place where we say, I've accomplished that on my own, but instead the Holy Spirit... Again, it goes back to the word filled. What do we say it meant? to fully equip. We cannot fully equip ourselves, but the Holy Spirit can equip us to do His work. Isn't it wonderful? God doesn't ask us because we have the ability to do it. But instead, He just desires our availability and then He will equip us to do it. You've probably heard that old saying, God doesn't call those who are equipped. He equips the called. He makes us ready to do His work. This is a work that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. So notice what He wants them to be filled with. Notice this now again, back to verse number 9. 
He says that ye might be filled, notice this, with the knowledge of his will. This is number one. This is the first prayer request that Paul is praying for the church of Colossae here in verse number nine. That they would be filled or fully equipped, just like a ship that's ready to go out on its voyage, to be fully equipped with the knowledge of his will. Now, what would we say the will of God is today? If we were to say, I want to know what God is for my life. Well, here's the special thing about the Many times we refer to the will of God with different words. Matter of fact, we're going to refer to it with several words today. We sometimes refer to God's revealed will. Meaning, we want to know the will of God for our lives, so God has revealed His will to us. Now, if we would use that word revealed to help us to understand His will, you'd say, well, what would you, what would you be describing when we use the word revealed, God's revealed will? Well, we'd be describing His word, wouldn't we? Because His Word, the Bible, reveals to us what His will and His desire for our lives is. So if we were to give a definition today for the will of God, we could say that the will of God is what God has revealed in His Word to us. He has revealed His will to us through His Word. And so what is the will of God? It's what He has revealed to us through His Word. And by the way, it's what God has revealed to us through His Word to be correct regarding both our faith and then also our works or our practice. So what we believe, but then also our behavior, what we do for the honor and the glory of the Lord. So we would understand God's revealed will comes through His Word. So He's revealed His will to us. So you say, well, what would God's will for my life be? It's not something that is from the sky today and you're going to pick it up on the, off the ground after it's fallen from the sky and you say, well, there it is, handwritten for me, exactly what God's will for my life is. It's not going to be something you're just going to dream up. It's not going to be something you're going to go to somebody and pay money to say, hey, would you tell me... Would you reveal to me what God's will for my life is? But it has been given to us, hasn't it? God has revealed His will for our lives as we get into His Word. It helps us to understand what our faith should be and then how we our faith as we live out in works and behavior what God would be pleased with. So He has revealed His will to us couple things about the will of God for our lives. Let me say a couple statements that might help you when we're thinking about being filled or fully equipped with the knowledge of His will for our lives. Can I say this? Desiring God's will for your life means that you have to die to your own will. If you're desiring God's will for your life today as a child of God, you've got to die to your own will. You know, the Bible says that Paul said that statement. He I die daily, which means I was crucified with Christ, as he mentions in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says that's on a daily basis, meaning I am dying to what I want to do and what my desires are, and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it is that God wants me to do. I don't know how many times my children come up to me and say, well, that's not what I want to do. Well, I didn't ask you to do what you wanted to do. I asked you to do what you were told to do. God's will for our lives is to us, but we have to die to our own will. We have to get to a place where we're not trying to make God listen to us. Instead, we are listening to Him. 
We've got to get to a place in our lives where we're not trying to persuade God to do what we want, but we are finding out what He wants us to do, and then we are willing to do it. We think about the will of God for our lives. If we're truly desiring His will, it means we're going to have to die to our own will. And then can I say another statement about God's will for our lives? Every Christian should aim to have His will, the Christian's will, directed and guided by the will of God, which again is revealed in His Word. So our great aim as a child of God today, you'd say by testimony that I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, then your great aim as a child of God should say that I want my will or my desires to be directed by the will of God, which He reveals to me in His Word. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when He was on earth here, He left a pretty good example of that, didn't He? I'm going to read two verses for you. John chapter 4, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4 and verse number 34, Jesus says these words. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. What's God saying there? God say, Jesus, God on earth here, God's Son, is saying, My desire is to do the will of God and my desire is to finish His work. Jesus desired, His aim was to do the will of the Father. And then in John chapter 6, down in verse number 38, the Bible says, this, John 6 verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. Jesus says, My desire is not to do my own will. My aim is to do the will of the one that sent me. So number one, I've got to die to my own will. Number two, my great aim as a Christian should be that my will or my desires are directed by the will of God, which He reveals to me in His Word. But then, number two, thought about the will of God is this. Only in obedience to His will can we know real joy. Only in obedience to His will can we know real joy in our lives today. By the way, joy is possible a lasting thing in the life of a Christian. Maybe you'd say, my joy isn't what it should be as a Christian. Are you in the will of God for your life? Because as you get in the center, that's where you will find joy and that's where you will truly know joy. What did the psalmist say? Psalm 40 and verse number 8, he said these words, Right, do thy will, O God. Think about that today. Do you find joy in doing God's will? Do you delight to do God's will? That's find joy. Remember the model prayer that Jesus prayed to his disciples when they said to him, Lord, teach us. Remember the very closing of that prayer. Jesus says, thy will be done. Remember that? In earth. Jesus model prayer. Him, how do we just to pray? The end of that prayer was that God's will would be done. That's where we find true joy. Well, Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he gave a challenge. I want to read this in John chapter 7. I know we've been in John already, but in John chapter 17 and verse 17, the very start of the verse says this If any man will do his will, and we'll pause there. That's just the very first part of the verse. But Jesus says to those that are there listening to him during his earthly ministry, he says, if any man will do his will. The key to that is the middle, ver the middle word of that challenge we just gave you. If any man 
will do His will. That simply means this. You have to be willing to do God's will. Do you desire to do God's will today? As you do the will of God for your life, that's when we have that lasting joy that God wants to give us. And then a fourth truth about doing the will of God today, and it's this. God desires that you know His will. I don't know how many times I've had people that have talked to me. How is it that we can know God's will for my life? Is this something magical that, he, that, that, that somehow I've got to find out? Or is this something that He's trying to hide from me? No, God desires that you know His will. He wants you to know what he'd have for you to do. And as a matter of fact, he clearly lays it out in the word of God. He reveals it to us. Let me give you a couple thoughts about the will of God. Remember I told you there's some words that we use. We use the word revealed. Because we have the Bible that we can go to that reveals to us the will of God. But then also we use some other words to describe the will of God. We talk about general will and then we talk about God's specific will. When we, when we refer to the general will of God, what we mean by that is this, that God has a will for every Christian. There's desires that he has that ought to be true in the lives of every Christian. Now let me go over the, a few of those with you. What, what would be God's general will for everyone? Number one, be saved. That is his will for every single person. Now, does that mean that everyone will be saved? Of course not. We know that there's a difference between receiving and rejecting. There are some that are going to reject. There are some that are not going to receive him. But that doesn't dismiss the fact that God desires that everyone come to trust him as their savior. In fact, I'm going to read a couple verses. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 3 and verse number 4. The Bible says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now we're talking about the Savior, Jesus Christ. The next verse, verse number four says this, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, does that mean that all men will be saved? No, but God wants them all to be saved. You say, well, how do you know that's true? Because he died for everybody. For God so loved the world. If he didn't want everybody to be saved, he wouldn't have died for everyone. It would have been a select crew that he died for. But God didn't die for a select crew. He died for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved everyone. By the way, that's why I'm thankful that we are a mission-minded church. We support missionaries who will go around our country and around our world telling people about Jesus Christ because God loves them just as much as he loves those that are here in Boonesboro, Maryland. He loves the world, doesn't he? And the Bible very clearly says this in the book of Peter. So if you doubt the fact that God wants everybody to come to repentance and everybody to be saved, even after we already read verse, 1 Timothy chapter number 2, remember what 1 Peter says. Where it says that God is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, listen to these words, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Not will, because the Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting, and few find it. Not everyone will be on that narrow the life everlasting, but God desires that everyone would repent and trust Him as Savior, put their faith and trust in Him. If you, if you further say, well, I still don't know that I believe that, well, remember what the Bible says about hell. He said He created it for the devil and his angels. That means He doesn't want us to go there. And by the way, He died so that we don't have to go there. Let me say this today, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He wants you to be saved. 
we as God's people here at this church want you to be saved as well. We want you to turn to your, from your sins and unto the Savior and put your faith and trust in Him. So maybe there's somebody here sitting today that would say, I've never put my faith and trust in God. I can't go back to a time and a place where I've called on Him. Get to a place where you realize you're a sinner. You realize there's a punishment for your sin. You cannot pay the price of your salvation on your own. But God loved you so much, He died for you and He sent His Son. And all you have to do is receive the gift of eternal life that He extends to you today. Call on Him. And the Bible says you'll have everlasting life. You'll have eternal life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. His will, his general will for everybody is that he wants everybody to be saved. But then number two, his general will for everybody is that we live in a way that pleases him. If you're a Christian today, he wants you to live in a way that pleases him. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that's his will. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I'm going to take the time to read just the first four verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says this. It says, furthermore... Then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. What are we to abound in? We're to abound in walking worthy of the Lord and to please Him, which, by the way, we see in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 10 as well. And then verse 2, For we know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, now notice the next three words. So, oh man, man, my ears are perked up now, right? What's the will of God? I want to know what it is. Even your sanctification. God says, what is my general will for everybody? That you would live a separated life. You, that's what the word sanctification means. To be set apart from the world and unto the service of God. We are in this world, but we are not to be like this world. We're to be set apart. We're to be different. In the things that we watch, and the things that we allow ourselves to listen to, the things that we allow our hands to handle, the places we allow our feet to go, the things that our mind is thinking on, the words that come out of our mouth, there ought to be a distinction in our lives as Christians because that's the will of God for our lives. That we would be sanctified, that we would be set apart, living in such a way that we please the one who died for us. The third thing that we could describe is the general will of God for our lives is that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, controlled by His Holy Spirit every day of our lives. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse number 17, it says this. Ephesians chapter 5, and verse number 17, the Bible says these words. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding, listen to the words, what the will of of the Lord is. Now wait a minute again, my ears are perked, man. I'm ready. What is the will of God for my life? What is it that God wants me to do? Well, the very next verse says, "Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit." God wants us to live a life where we are filled with the Spirit. By the way, that word filled there in Ephesians chapter 5 verse number 18 shows a continuous action, meaning it's something that's supposed to happen every single day. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You say, well, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? That means that God gives us the grace and He gives us His grace and His strength to do the will and the work of God in our lives. He's controlling us. We're not trying to control ourselves, but we're allowing the Holy Spirit to control us. And by the way, all of this goes hand in hand. If we are saved and we are set apart, then we can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, controlled in such a way where we can accomplish His will and His purpose and His plan for our lives. But then can I say this? God also has a specific will for our lives as well, which means it's a will just for you. Just for you. You know, I trust you pray that way. Lord, show me what your will for my life is. 
I know as parents, my wife and I pray that for our children, that we would know what God, that they would know what God's will for their life is, and that they would live a life of faithfulness to the Lord and live a life that's pleasing to Him and in His service. That they would know exactly what God would have them to do. Now, when I stand here and I preach this message this morning, I know that this is God's specific will for my life. Only you will know what God's specific will for your life is. Are you doing exactly what God would have you to do? Are you in the center of His will? Again, He has a permissive will, but like I say, I'd rather be in God's perfect will. What is it that God has created you to do? Your job as a child of God is to find out what that is and to do it to the best of your ability. That's what God desires when it comes to His specific will for our lives. And I think we clearly read that in Romans chapter 12 where He says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has a specific will for your life. Are you doing what He'd have for you to do? Maybe somebody would be sitting here today and, be say, and you might say, You know, God is speaking to my heart in a certain way and I have not surrendered to that yet. I'm not fully surrendered to be in the center of God's will exactly in a, in a perfect place where God has me. Let's get to that place in our lives where the specific will that He has for your life is exactly what you're doing. Look back to Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9, if you would. And we'll touch briefly on these last two. He says this. He says, I want you to be filled, or again, fully equipped with the knowledge of His will. We talked about His will. We need to be always abounding in the knowledge of His will. We need to know what it is. And do it to the best of our ability. But then notice the second thing he says. And in all wisdom. In all wisdom. Can I say this? In the year of 2023, we need to be always abounding in wisdom. We need to be always abounding in wisdom. We need to ask God to give us wisdom. Now, I've heard many definitions for wisdom. You've probably heard a lot of definitions for wisdom. What is the definition that we could give for wisdom? Wisdom is the ability... To apply God's truth to our life. It's not just knowledge. It's not just knowing things. But it's the ability to know what God's truths are and apply them to our lives. To make them applicable in our lives. To put them into practice. That's what wisdom is. And by the way, can I say this about wisdom? It only comes from God. When we talk about spiritual wisdom, we're talking about wisdom that comes from God. Look with me, if you would, at Colossians chapter 4. Right over to Colossians chapter 4 and look at what number, verse number 5 says. It says this, that we are to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. God says not only are we to ask God to give us wisdom, but then we are to walk in wisdom as well. And then in James chapter 1 and verse number 5, the Bible says this, If any of you lack wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, that sounds like, all of us at times, right? We all lack wisdom. So he says, if any of you lack wisdom, now notice this, verse 5, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. I heard somebody once give the definition for wisdom. I talked about how that it was applying the truths of God to our lives. Again, not just knowing them, but applying them. But I heard somebody give another definition for the word wisdom, and they said it this way. They said it's the ability to see things the way God sees them. What a great thought. 
wisdom to see things the way God sees them. And he says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He's the one that's able to give it to us. So I see a couple different things in this passage, in this verse that we just read, James chapter one, verse number five. Number one, we see the great deficiency, which means that we are all deficient of wisdom from time to time. We all have need of it. As a matter of fact, that word if at the start of James chapter one, verse number five, let me read the first part of it again. It says this, if any of you lack wisdom, we could actually... Uh, we could actually change that word. Not that we're changing the Bible now, but one of the ways that you could use that word or the, uh, the, uh, what this word implies is really the word because, meaning this, because you lack wisdom. We know that we are going to lack wisdom from time to time. So because there's times when you lack it, meaning there is a great deficiency from time to time when it comes to wisdom. So we need wisdom. But then notice we don't just see a great deficiency there. We also see the means of supply. Notice God is the one that's able to supply it, right? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally. That word liberally has the idea of simply and freely and richly God will give it to you. And it says, and abradeth not, meaning he won't scold you for asking it. There's been times before probably where you've, you've wondered why somebody's asked you a question and almost scolded them for asking you that. But God says, I won't scold you for asking for wisdom because I know it's something that you need. So there's a great deficiency because there's times when we lack wisdom, but then there's the means of supply. We ask God and he gives it to us richly. He gives it to us freely and he gives it to us without scolding us. But the very end of the verse shows us the guarantee of an answer. And the guarantee of an answer is this. He says that he'll give it to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Aren't you thankful to know that because you lack wisdom, if you will ask God for wisdom, he says he will give it to you. Sounds like a good promise, doesn't it? And by the way, we can take God at his word, can't we? So if you lack wisdom, you ask the Lord. Now there's a man in the Bible who was told at a point in his life, God says, I'm going to give you anything at all, whatever you want. You can ask anything. And I'll give you whatever you want. Remember who that was? King Solomon. And what was the thing that Solomon asked for? He could have asked for a lot of things. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for possessions of some sort. But what did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. And by the way, God not only gave him wisdom, but the Bible says he gave him other things that he didn't even ask for. He would be known as the wisest king to ever be on the throne. He asked God for wisdom and God met the need, didn't he? He gave wisdom. The third thing God says in Colossians chapter 1, and we'll be done this morning. The third thing in verse number 9, I want you to notice. Number one, that we would be filled or fully equipped with the knowledge of God's will. But number two, we would have all wisdom. Again, we want to abound in the knowledge of God's will. We want to abound in wisdom. But look at the last one. He says, and spiritual understanding. We want to be always abounding in the year of 2023 with spiritual understanding. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the book of Psalms. 176 verses. Every verse you read in Psalm 119 has something to do with the Word of God. We read Psalm 119 in its entirety. We read it at the winter retreat with our young people. We spent every morning reading parts of Psalm 119, and I gave them challenges every morning when we were at the winter retreat. And in Psalm 119, in verse number 34, the Bible says this, Give me understanding. Now, not, now watch this. you got to hear it. The psalmist says, Give me understanding, God. And notice what he says next. 
and I shall keep thy law. God, if you're going to give me spiritual understanding to know what you want me to do and what you want me to stay away from, then God, I make a promise that I will keep your law. Today, let me ask you, let me encourage you today to ask God for spiritual understanding. Today in our lives, may we not, may we not confuse the two. He, the, 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 Paul's prayer for the church of Colossae is for spiritual understanding. May we not confuse May we not have, may we, may we not uh, uh, confuse between uh, uh, spiritual understanding and human or worldly understanding. There, there are, there's a difference between the two. God says, I want you to ask for spiritual understanding, not worldly understanding, not, not uh, uh, a human understanding, but that you would ask for spiritual understanding. You know, the Bible says that the person who's not saved doesn't have that spiritual understanding that God wants to give them. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, it says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because he's spiritually discerned. He doesn't understand. God says, I want you to ask for spiritual understanding, that you would understand what God's will for your life is, and that he would give you the wisdom that he needs. Can I say this? This understanding in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 9 is referred to as spiritual understanding because it can only come from the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. Spiritual understanding. Not fleshly, not worldly, not human understanding. Things that even the lost person can't understand. The natural man can't understand it. It's foolishness to him. God says it's spiritual understanding that only the Spirit of God can give you. So what would we say spiritual knowledge is or spiritual understanding as Colossians chapter 1 says? Would you turn to one last verse for me and we'll be done. Would you turn to Colossians 3? Now we're in the book of Colossians. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. It'll be the last verse I read this morning and we'll finish our message this morning. Colossians chapter 3 and look down with me in, in verse number 16 if you would. How do we know what spiritual understanding is? How, how are we going to know? How are we going to always abound in spiritual understanding? Well, here's what spiritual understanding is. Spiritual understanding is a knowledge that can only come from God and time that is spent in His Word. If I'm going to have spiritual understanding in my life, I have to, number one, realize it can only come from God. The Spirit of God is the only one that can give it to me. But then I have to also understand that I've got to spend time in His Word if I'm going to have spiritual understanding. I want to clearly know what God has for me. So I've got to spend time in His Word. Well, look at what Colossians 3, verse 16 says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Man, let's let God's word dwell in us. He says richly. Now notice this. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. He says, get to a place where the word of God is dwelling in you richly. By the way, there's several different ways the Word of God can dwell in us richly. I think he even actually speaks to it in verse number 16. It can, dwell, it can dwell in us richly as we're reading the Word of God, but then as we go throughout the day and we're meditating on the Word of God, right? So we read it and then we're chewing on it a little bit. We're meditating on it just like the cow would, right? Bringing it back up. We're chewing it. We're meditating on it. But then we're memorizing it. As a church family, we memorize Scripture. Why do we want to memorize Scripture? So the Word of God is dwelling in us. But then he even speaks to it at the end of the verse. He says, singing with uh, uh, the, the truths of God's Word in your heart. Music can even allow the Word of God to dwell in our hearts if it's the right kind of music. 
If it's music that's pleasing to the Lord. And by the way, that's what we desire to sing here. That's what we desire to have in our church. That we want the words of God, word of God to dwell on us richly, even through the singing and the hymns and the choruses that we sing, so that God's word is in our hearts and the truths of God's word is in our hearts every moment and every minute and every second and every hour of the day. We're letting God's word dwell in us. And that's where we have that spiritual understanding. Here's what Paul understood as he wrote verse number nine. I truly believe Paul understood this when he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and wisdom and spiritual understanding. He knew that spiritual ignorance was a sure source of instability. If you're going to be spiritually ignorant, then you are going to be unstable in your Christian life. Can I say this to you today as we finish this morning? Why don't we ask God that we be always abounding in the knowledge of His will, in wisdom and spiritual understanding, knowing that if we are spiritually ignorant, that we will be, they'll have instability in our lives as Christians. Now, none of us would say that we want to have instability in our Christian lives. We want to be stable for God, right? We want to be serving Him. We want to be useful. So let's make sure we're not spiritually ignorant. You say, how do I get to that place? Well, we're asking God to give me the knowledge of His will. Give me wisdom. Give me spiritual understanding. Father, I pray that as we're beginning the year of 2023, and Lord, we're talking about these things that we need to be always abounding in. Lord, we talked last week about pleasing God. We talked this week about wisdom. 